This is the 12 Songs of Christmas. Today, with Hard Candy Christmas and Alexandra Scott. Rawls, and this is my podcast about Christmas music. Welcome to the first episode of Season 3. We'll run from now until Christmas with new episodes every Wednesday. This season starts at an unusual time, and I hope that it will give you a little distraction from the grind of the news. Today's show is a glimpse of what might have been, because when I first thought of 12 songs, I thought of doing it with singer Alexandra Scott as my co-host. Besides the appeal of the whole Alex and Alexandra thing, Alexandra and I have known each other for years and have good conversations together. I liked the idea of breaking down Christmas songs with her, but she understandably wanted to dedicate more time to her music and asked if she could simply be a guest instead. That guest spot would have come sooner if she hadn't moved from New Orleans to Virginia, but earlier this year, before coronavirus, she was back in New Orleans and we sat down together to chew on one of my favorite Christmas songs and hers, Hard Candy Christmas, best known for the version by Dolly Parton. There's more to this story than I realized when we decided to do this episode, but we'll get into that in a few minutes. First, here's Alexandra Scott from her 2013 album, I Love You So Much Always. Here's Gas Station Lover. Christmas. So, Alexandra, good to see you. It's good to see you too, Alex. So, and I love the fact that we are here to talk about Hard Candy Christmas. Me too. And this is at your suggestion. So, let's start with you. What 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 draws you to the song? Well, um, Partly the fact that I don't think it's really a Christmas song. I think it's a sad song with the word Christmas in it, and I love sad songs. Also, it's a Dolly Parton song, and I love Dolly Parton. Yeah. It actually was not... It's only recently become a Christmas song, uh, and actually we can talk about that. It. I was just uh, doing some research before this, and it actually... Dolly cut it as a single, but it actually didn't chart... 
it only got some play as a, a Christmas song by uh, DJs, by country music DJs who were looking for something seasonal to play and who liked the song and who thought, oh, this would be cool. But it actually never charted as a Christmas song. That makes total sense to me because it's not a Christmas song. Right. Except it sort of is. I have, I have thoughts on that. Okay. Um, I'll tell you what. Let's work those in. But there's actually like a kind of a cool, uh, I've been, there's a cool story to this one as, as, as I've been sort of preparing for you coming over and I've been sort of collecting versions because the song Hard Candy Christmas started uh, written by Carol Hall for the play, for the musical Bessel Whorehouse in Texas. And so first recorded in 1978 for the original, um, by the original Broadway cast. So I think let's start there, and we can uh, talk about what's interesting and different, and then we will continue. So, part of that you can reminded me why I off why I'm sometimes guarded on Broadway. See, as a musical theater kid, that reminds me why I love musical theater so much. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was dancing with my arms, um, and I feel like you can hear what a great musical theater song that is. Um, yeah, like there are things I liked a lot about it. I mean, I love as you can hear in the song. That this is situation is that these are are, are women in the who work in the Bessel Whorehouse in Texas, and they are leaving, and this is them sort of all thinking about what they're going to do with themselves, and uh, and and obviously, and I love the crosstalk, and which actually kind of I think makes a lot of sense, and you can hear different personalities. What is each one going to do? And you can hear what is it. Um, you know, one line is like, oh, maybe I'll clear my junk. The other one's like, maybe I'll just get drunk. And like, okay, you hear women across purposes, cool drama. I get, you know, I like that. Um, at the same time, that what I also hear is a sort of the Broadway singing to the uh, singing to the back row, mm-hmm. and there's a sort of a there's a sort of a bigness where the emotions all feel small. They all feel very personal, and so like 
this version, I think, had that been the first version I knew, I don't think I would have connected with the song the way I have. Well, possibly, and perhaps, and almost surely, because Dolly is like nobody else. Um, there's also something about it being a one-person narrative that is more moving to me, because I, I can't remember what age I was when I first heard it. Um, but it caught me for two reasons. Uh, the hard candy is a time travel line for me because it brings me back to the ribbon candy my mother would put out when I was young, um, which I have not seen since, but I, I love. And it just brings back all of her decorations and all of the um, beautiful adornments of those Christmases. But the narrative of the, of the Dolly version, which remains my favorite, um, has a lot more to do with adult Christmases, which, um, you know, like they say in AA, it tends to be just a day. Um, I, I know a lot more people who struggle through their Christmases than do not. And when I hear it now, um, it's it sounds more like someone going through those sort of lists of possibilities that we all have, things you might do, but you're probably not going to do, but you could do, but you might not but you're making it up just to think of things that could get you through a day that's maybe hard because your best friend might be dead and your family might be far away and things are just kind of sucky, but you've got to get through the day somehow and you've got to tell yourself you'll be fine. And I think that's a narrative that more people than not can relate to. Sure. And, you know, and one of the things I think helps musically make that happen is that sort of music box piano figure at the top mm -hmm. that makes it feel very small and also it does connect to that kind of sort of uh, old time that that sort of old time feel that hard candy does too yeah. i was thinking hard candies was struck me as such a, a a specific but odd reference because it's not a thing that's been really a part of a term that i remember from anyone but my grandmother exactly it is very old fashioned and I think whenever you can appeal to a, a sense, a taste in a song, um, you tend to catch people. I notice that I talk about coffee and the the smell of grass and things like that a lot in my songwriting because they're things that that I, I attach to. Um, and I think, yeah. I don't know. That that hard candy gets me. Also, I love an internal rhyme, so <laughs> fine and dandy. <laughs> it's a hard candy Christmas. Yep. It's just beautiful. So, Okay, now, so in 82, it was made into a movie with Dolly and with Burt Reynolds. Ah, Burt. And uh, that I got to say that to get this version, I had to actually go to YouTube because if you go get the original soundtrack album, that they don't have the version from the movie they have Dolly's uh, single. And so I had to go and find uh, this so you could hear sort of how it moved from the, start, the process of going from the stage to the Dolly Parton single. So we'll go to that now. I'll dye my hair 
Maybe I'll lose some weight. Maybe I'll clear my junk. Maybe I'll just get drunk on apple wine. Me, I'll be just fine dandy. Lord, it's like a hard candy Christmas. I'm barely getting through tomorrow, but still. Okay, I got to say, that was really chilling when Dolly comes in. And yeah, that. it really is. You kind of feel bad for the other singers. I mean, not bad, but sort of like being on stage with Beyonce. But, you know, the one of the things <laughs> I thought was really interesting, though, I understood from this version that I hadn't, didn't pick up before is maybe because the voices are a little more distinct that the number of times that me isn't there for emphasis the way the way we use it here that it's actually identifying a new speaker yes likewise and that me i'll bounce right back is coming off as opposition to something else that someone's just said and me i also understood that from that version <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if that's done elsewhere i know like you know in, in cajun country oh, i don't i don't want to go me and uh, that kind of that putting the, the me back at the pronoun back at the end for emphasis. Moi, je pense que oui. So <laughs> the, um, anyway, but that uh, and you could also hear kind of some of the sweetening of the song. Yes. That's different that that the music, the opening doesn't have quite the same music box feel or, or there's also there's strings or there's something else in there that's also helping to sort of frame and already give you some a little more emotional depth in that track before it becomes, uh, you know, before the vocals come in. So, so anyway, so that was in 78. And the, um, and in 82, then Dolly finally releases it. And in this case, and this is something I found really interesting, and we'll talk some more about this once, because we'll, this is kind of the version this whole uh, section, the uh, whole episode revolves around, but Dolly uh, sings it, and she sings all the parts. And so we can talk about what's gained and lost in the process. So you can so clearly 
she still uses. I think that's basically the same arrangement. That I'm best, the instrumentation all sounds basically the same instrumentation from uh, from the Bessel Whorehouse uh, film version. I think you're right. Although to be honest, I as a vocalist, I mostly was listening to just the perfection of her voice. It's very hard for me not to do that when she sings. Well, that, and that's one of the things I was going to talk about. So talk about Dolly here singing this. Well, uh, she it, she's just ineffably perfect as a vocalist. Um, she's one of those like touched by the Lord vocalists. She just is. Yeah, it's it's so clear. You know, I like listening to these these other versions preparing for this. It's like I that I know why that that all these people are accomplished singers. They're accomplished performers. That they made it to Broadway. They made it into movies. That these are people who can all sing, and her voice has so much more character, so much more personality, that the song becomes infinitely more interesting, and you're infinitely more connected just because she's that much more interesting than they are. I know, and I really hate to say that about any singer. As a vocal teacher, which is one of the things I do, um, I, I do teach everybody that everyone can sing, everyone should sing, but she has an innate something, and there is a, a je ne sais quoi. I, she just has it. Yeah, I have actually, as a thing I've kind of been thinking about in recent years, and it was, it started as kind of a shortcut that I no longer think is as much of a shortcut as I, as I thought, but I, I've kind of been playing with the idea that, you know, kind of one of the functions of being a star, especially being a rock star, is that you ultimately have kind of either the personality, the je ne sais quoi, the voice, the something, to just plow through whatever contradictions you you bump into whatever you know whatever whatever that you may know everyone may know here's what's wrong with what you're doing except you still have the skill to make it happen and to make people care i, I gotta say today before i uh, that uh before we met uh today i was listening to a new song by iggy pop mm. and it has one or two great lines and the rest of it, and even the best lines, I'm not sure I actually believe. But Iggy is just such a star that for the three and a half minutes the song is on, I'm with him. And I want to believe those songs because I want to believe Iggy. Right. Well, conviction conviction is everything in performance. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got about performance was that ultimately it's a conversation and you're trying to convey your feeling, your meaning, your intent to the person with, with whom you're talking um, through your medium um, and that there's no such thing as a perfect conversation and therefore you can remove the need for perfection from your performance. But the interesting thing about a singer like Dolly is that technically she is very close to perfect. Um, when you listen to I mean, virtually any of her songs, there's not much you can find wrong with her voice. I'm right. sure somebody could find a flaw somewhere if they really set out to find it, but I don't know why you would. Right. Um, there might, uh, her voice is just, it's just a gift. Yeah. Um, and then she has the ability to 
transmit meaning and emotion along with it. And then she has had the ability to perform as a star, which I think is a different thing. I mean, the star making machine is a whole other thing from talent. Um, but they're, but they're related. And, and, and certainly in her case, her, her voice is certainly a major component and of what has made her a star. Oh, sure. But there are, I think this is an important thing to say. Talent and being a star are, are not necessarily related. There are tons sure. of talented artists who do not have the constitution to become stars. And there are tons of stars who have merely a handful of talent but are sociopathic enough to become stars. <laughs> um, so conflating the two is not necessarily a good idea. Yes. No, I, I understand entirely. And, and, and I don't, I know that they're not the same thing. And I've, I've often found like one, like that, you know, I'm sure anybody who pays attention to any, any music scene has seen artists who have the talent and the songs to be that, that deserve a far, far larger audience than they reach. But it's very clear that the, that whatever's involved in trying to reach that audience, reach a larger audience, is not there. And it's and it could be a million things. And it's you know I've you know writing about bands in New Orleans. There's points where I where I realize like somebody in the band has grand aspirations, and somebody in the band has no intention of ever leaving their day job, and that these two things are not going to work well together. Right. And, uh, but this is a conversation that nobody's had yet because nobody wants to have it. And, um, you know, the, the challenge of the challenge of getting along oh, with each yeah. other. Um, so there's a million ch things that keep perfectly good artists with perfectly, with a lot of talent and really good material from getting where they're, where their talent and material ought to get them. But, and I don't even know if there's an ought to, because fame is is devastating. Um, there was an article in the Garden, Guardian the other day about, I, I think the title was simply The Road Will Kill You. It was talking about the number of older artists, and I mean, when I say older, not that old, you know, 68 or so on, canceling right. their tours. And then it's talking about the Rolling Stones who are still on the road and will always be on the road. But um, anyway, back to Dolly. She's just... She is one of those perfect vocalists, and I feel like we have been blessed to live in a time when she and Emmylou Harris and Linda Ronstadt recorded together. You go back to those trio records, and that's as great as harmony singing will ever get. Right. Um, we're very lucky that that exists. Yeah. You know, one of the things I was thinking about while listening to her sing the inventory of possible things to do is... Unlike when you hear the different women sing them, each of them essentially sings it more or less seriously. Like, here's what I'm going to do, or here's what I'm going to try to do. And when she sings it, you can hear her trying out each thought. Like, she's, like she really, she's not singing to other people. She's singing to herself. I know. It's really interesting. <laughs> Isn't that great? And so you can hear her... You know, that she's, you know, offers up the possibilities. And even you can hear her, like, when she says, maybe I'll get a car. Somebody about you know, my car. And she almost swallows the word. Well, and, she does have a whole song to play with. And they each have a line. And that gives you a lot more room. Sure. But it's still that, that idea. I mean, you, you've got to still got to find a way to make them interesting. But that idea, that you, but you can so clearly hear her thinking about each idea. 
and that maybe I'll clear my junk. That sounds aspirational. Maybe I'll just get drunk. Mm-hmm. And you can hear like, ah, oh, that's got its that's got its charms. And each one is being thought through as she says it. And that makes it so interesting. And the idea that they're so contradictory. So it's not that she's, you know, that it's not that she's laying out a possible like, oh, I'll do this, then I'll do that, then I'll do this. And that there's not it's not methodical. Uh, they're not all good choices. No, some of them are very bad choices. Yeah. And, uh, but at the same time, it's like that she's, you, it, it sounds like she's playing with each of these thoughts as they come into her head. And that kind of live moment, uh, that kind of live drama as she's evaluating each thought as she thinks it and as she expresses it. And the only person she's expressing it to is herself. To see how does that sound? Am I, is that sounding realistic to me or not? Yeah, that's you know makes it just makes it magical. I know, she, and and that's why it's magical to me, and I, I think to you, and hopefully to anyone else who loves this song. And I've listened to this song many, many times. But when you can take yourself on that journey, and I mean, I'm speaking as a singer here, and you can believe it, then hopefully you can take a listener along with you. Um, and it requires, I don't know, some sort of, I think I can leap of faith where you just, I, d- I don't know. This is why I say ineffable. I-, I know how to do it. I know vaguely how to teach it. But at some point, you just have to believe you can and, and jump. Um, and she believes she can. And she can, in fact. Um, well, I also wonder if part of it is the fact that she has a history of write of songs that either are narrative or are kind of implied narrative. Yeah. And so that she has a history of basically storytelling and songs. And so kind of when someone already basically gives you a script that and she could script and too. a good script, she, she could see what to do with it. Yeah. Well, I think that helps a lot when you're given a, a very good song. It helps, but you still have to, breathe life into the script sure um i don't know she's just wonderful at what she does so weirdly after that the song essentially laid fallow until 2012 really yeah that there are that there's only one cover between uh between it appeared in 84 on uh oh let me see there was the title of this album um, Once Upon a Christmas, uh, a duet album she did with Kenny Rogers. And the album is basically duets with Dolly and Kenny Rogers, and they attached this on because since it was sort of, it was out there, and, and clearly she believed in the song. But there's one version between 84, and I'll come back to it, and 2012, when um, Tracy Thorne released, um, oh, what's her album called? Um... Tinsel and Lights, which is a great Christmas album, and um, British singer, and I think, and I don't know if it was just it was in the air and people were like looking for Christmas songs, because after this, Reba McIntyre covers it, Leanne Rimes covers it, Cyndi Lauper covers it, Um, and I really kind of wanted to, I wanted to play the Cindy Lauper version, but there's just, there's, it doesn't add anything. It's just another version. Mm. Um, weirdly, she doesn't find very much in the song. And I, th- that, and, and it may be 
we'll we'll see in a minute. But it may be there's a limit as to how far this song can be interpreted without sort of dismembering it uh, or trying to like read in something that's really not there. But anyway, but I want to go to Tracy Thorne version because I think this is that this is a lot very cool in this one as well. So um, and we'll talk after that. say this might just might be indulgent on my part but i just love hearing the uh the walk into the chorus every time i find that 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 just sort of that swoop up to be so gorgeous and chilling each time yeah and i chilled on that the same way i have listened to dolly do it that was gorgeous also just you can't get too much tracy thorne no you know one of the things i liked about that version is that she doesn't sound nearly as sold on the on the upside, on the possible no. upsides as uh, as Dolly does. Well, she deep sadness is really her thing. She's got that. I believe she's from Northern England, yeah. um, which I think rivals Appalachia in in bleakness. Is, and isn't that also a mining area? I'm not going to swear to that. I, I don't know. Um, I know it's industrial Manchester, I think, but. Um, yeah, the interesting thing about the Dolly version is that when she get whenever she gets to the chorus, she really does believe in her future, and the Tracy version has less of that. I, I'm I'm never sure. I actually always think I'm not sure if Dolly believes in her future or she wants to believe in her future, and uh, that she's at least that she's at least got the juice to get behind it, but it's not clear how long that juice is going to last. And how it, that it always feels a little bit provisional to me when all the possibilities are pinging in her head that I'm not sure that I'm not sure she knows which direction is the right is the, the right the way to go um, or which is the direction she will choose to go. This one you can kind of hear as Tracy Thorne's singing them out like, nah, that's not going to happen. Nah, that's not going to happen. She 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 almost almost massages the line about sleep real late. It's like that's going to happen. I feel like the line that stands out on the chorus in the Tracy Thorn, Thorn version is, I'm barely getting through tomorrow. She really does a lovely thing with through tomorrow. Whereas the line on the Dolly version from the chorus that stands out is, I'll be fine and dandy. Um, but that, again, yeah. you, everyone hears it a bit differently. No, no, I, I agree entirely. I hadn't, I hadn't broken it down to quite that way. But yeah, you're right. That I'm barely getting through is... is is the key is the key thought in her version 
I think I was thinking about, and I don't know why it seems more obvious than the Tracy Thorne version, is that this is kind of one of those rarities, if you take it as a Christmas song, and that it's a Christmas song for adults. Yep, absolutely. And it's a Christmas song for adults who've done some living, done some losing, like had like like real adults, Pro- not adults who are no disrespect, you know, young adults, but not adults who like have just gotten their first apartment and are feeling shiny and new, but adults who've had their paint chipped a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. It's this feels like. It feels like very much like a very, especially with Tracy Thorne sings, is a very working class song. Yeah. I don't, maybe because I know that in the movie that, that Dolly Parton is playing a madam, and while that's not, that's hardly living the high life, that she's, there is a clear cast, she's not one of the girls. Ah. Uh. And so I don't have the same kind of sense of, sense of class and a sense of, how hard your knocks are. I mean, if I, mean, if I play through the play through, the sort of a, a sex trade, okay, her knocks are very hard. Sure. That, uh, but at the same time, it's movie world, and it's her and her, and uh, so it feels a little distant from the sex worker's side uh, in terms of how I think about you know a Christmas song. Whereas in this one, it feels very much like an adult who's you know, for whom a lot feels provisional. And, um, you know, the good times and bad times really are, you know, are a, pay- you know, a paycheck from, from, going the other, from going one way or the other. Which is the reality for most of the adults I know. And, in fact, both Dolly and Tracy are working class girls, women, you know, grown girls who have grown into women. And now that you, men- now that you put it like that as a song for adults, I think that's... I think you've put your finger on why I love it so much because well into my early adulthood, I was the only person in my family who clung to a love of Christmas and wanted to decorate and wanted to do presents and all the Christmassy stuff. And I think it was probably quite irritating to my family. And then, I mean, they put up with it, but nobody else really cared. And then we all sort of went our separate ways and we started doing Christmas differently. And I, I didn't want to put up a Christmas tree. Well, I actually have a very small aluminum one that I got at a thrift store that I love. Um, but, and I found that I didn't care so much about those trappings other than to think back fondly on them sometimes. But uh, you do find yourself in a state of thinking, okay, well, what might I be doing in the next couple of days? And wow, there are a lot of things that I need to avoid because they can be a little bit triggering and maybe I'll go to a movie. Maybe I will drive to the beach. Maybe I'm just going to eat all the cookies, you know? Yeah. It's a very real place. And I know a lot of people who've been in it. Well, and actually myself included. And I hadn't started thinking about this until we started playing with this. But the fact is, as you think about it, what's absent from this, which is that it's not like that, any that there are that no guys are sort of relevant in this conversation. If they're if, if they're in there, they're just one of the options among yeah. uh, among everything else. There's no family. It's Christmas when you. It's what does Christmas look like when you don't have a family? Yeah. Or you don't feel connected to your family because, like, weirdly, like I think you know when I listen to the Tracy Thorne version, I don't necessarily think of her as being like isolated. 
but I feel like she's emotionally, you know, that she's she's not rolling around in all the Christmas goodness. That uh, that it might be going on, but she's still not sure about how, you know, that's not the draw. That's not where her attention is. And uh, and I think that's really interesting. The the idea of uh, a song about Christmas that's not tied to any of the usual. What do you do with Christmas? It's true, and it's really sneakily done. It's not bravely saying it's. I mean, and I would be into a song that addresses it head on. This is Christmas for the lonely people. Although I'm now imagining like a terrible done, terrible one done by the guy who's married to Nicole Kidman, whose name I can never remember. But bless his heart. Um, you know what I mean? The guy yes. with the wax chest. Yes. Um, Keith Urban. Keith Urban. Yeah. Bless his heart. But um, I'm sure he's a very nice person. Uh, but yeah, it, it does just emphasize what's absent by em- emphasizing what, what she's focusing on. And there is, by the way, an amazing Christmas song about loneliness. What do the lonely do at Christmas by the emotions? Emotions? But the title but, just but, gives yes. it away right there. But, but you still, you really want to go there. Really? It is, it's really awesome. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll it, check it it's out. Not, it's, it, it's not like, it, it's not, it's, I mean, it's sad, but it's beautiful. And it's not like we'll just wallow in our sadness. It's this just really gorgeous thought. And it's like, it's like the question is everything. The answer is not, the answer isn't the relevant part. Well, that's the, good. Yeah. But does it emphasize the fact that sometimes the loneliest people are the ones in the kitchen cooking for like. The full yes. family? <laughs> no, that's not part of this one. So, so here is thing. I got one song I have to say. I found um, while I was researching this that makes me so happy. And I said there was one song that came between like the 1984 release of the album with Kenny Rogers and Tracy Thorne, and it's RuPaul. What? <laughs> oh my God! Play that right now. <laughs> Yes, this is from this is from uh, ninety seven, and it is from RuPaul's Christmas album Ho Ho Ho. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy. I, I I was so I have to say this was I found this. I'm like, oh my god! I like because that I didn't I knew RuPaul had one Christmas album because RuPaul's second Christmas album from I want to say like 2014 or 15. It's like a hard candy Christmas. <laughs> 2015, RuPaul did an album Sleigh Bells. And Big Frida does a Christmas song uh, on it, uh, Jingle Dem Bells. I'm going to assume this is S-L-A-Y Bells. Yes, yeah, of course. Okay. And B-E-L-L-E-S. Of course. So anyway, and it made me think now I've got to actually, between, uh, I need to find like someone who I can do a podcast on, on RuPaul Christmas albums. Yeah. Because like, he's got two. You should ask so, Midori, yeah. your neighbor. Yeah. Oh, yep. That's true. So, all right. So anyway, uh, RuPaul. Doing Hard Candy Christmas. Oh, well. That time has come, ladies. I can't believe it. I can't believe it either. It's over. Parting is such sweet sorrow. It's time to change. What are we going to do? Well, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to exercise my options. Hey, maybe I'll dye my hair. Maybe I'll move somewhere Maybe I'll get a car Maybe I'll drive so far They'll all lose track Me, I'll bounce right back Maybe I'll sleep real late <laughs> That sounds good. All right. Me, 
Maybe I'll lose some weight. <laughs> Maybe I'll clear the junk. Maybe I'll just get drunk on apple wine. Me, I'll be just fine and dandy. Lord, it's like a hard candy Christmas. Okay, how awesome was that? Okay, yeah, that's now my favorite version. I'm sorry, Dolly. <laughs> that was so awesome. We had a little dance party in here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I am transformed. Oh, my God. <sighs> yeah, that was awesome. I got to say, that was so brilliant that I loved that. I love how they actually managed to go back to the to the play that that we end up with, with uh, RuPaul and uh, Barbara Mitchell, Michelle uh, Visage, all swapping lines, talking to each other, and doing the thing that we liked about Dolly. Like actually, like as they're saying their options, they're they're not they're not equally invested in all of them. Uh, they're 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 wisecracking on each other. That was so great. Yeah, that was amazing. Fun and dandy. Wow. I I'm I'm speechless. Well, and also in part of. I, I, I almost have to listen to it again to work this thought out. But part of the thing that was interesting to me while I was listening to it was the degree to which it kind of plays into both the sort of the self-invention idea that's so much a part of Ruth's whole project, but even the fact that in you know in recent years that Rue has also become someone who has been like sort of basic positivity coach with people, life coach with people. And to hear that persona, sort of whether he was exactly in that place or not in in '97, hearing those pieces side by side, like this is completely on brand, and uh, not just in terms of not just in terms of drag, not just in terms of RuPaul, you know, character, but in terms of what RuPaul's sort of public life has become. Yep. And 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 funny as hell, and. So, which goes to show that he, they, what, what's RuPaul's I haven't pronoun? heard. I haven't heard. Okay, I'm going to go with they because okay. RuPaul contains multitudes. Is consistent and honest, and that's that's very not surprising, but gratifying to me. You know. Yeah. Now, now I, I want more than that. Now I, I want more than ever to actually do a RuPaul show. Yes. Now we got to see if I can get RuPaul on the show. Well, all the more reason to invite Midori. She's just <laughs> awesome. Okay. <laughs> well, Alexandra, this has been amazing. This has been amazing. And I'm going to now have to listen to the Tracy Thorne and RuPaul versions a lot because I love both those artists. And I didn't know either of them had recorded this. So thank you. Well, thank you for coming. This has been a most excellent time to sit down and talk. I've had such a good time. Thank you. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Thanks to Alexandra Scott for the time and the talk. You can hear more from her on her Bandcamp page, which I'll link to in the show notes. If you have thoughts about any version of Hard Candy Christmas, ones we've talked about, or ones that are your pet favorites, let's talk about it on the 12 Songs Facebook page. 
As always, thanks to AF The Naysayer for our theme music, and thanks to you for listening. We'll finish with more from RuPaul, Barbara Mitchell, and Michelle Visage, and their version of Hard Candy Christmas, which eventually, of course, moves to a disco conclusion. We'll see you next week. You're devastated? Yes, I am. Well, we will see each other again. This is not the end of us. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Love is forever. <laughs>